see the path to the championship. I can see it. Coca-Cola 600 belongs to Ryan Blaney. Blaney's learned how to win over the last couple of months. Blaney, Harmon, they spin behind him. It's going to be Blaney. We're going to win this thing. Ryan Blaney is going to win his way into the championship four. You have to run a perfect race to, to get it. Ryan Blaney is a NASCAR Cup Series champion. What an unbelievable year. What an unbelievable playoffs for us. This is the Team Blaney Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to episode 130 of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. This podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been following the drivers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades, and Team Blaney itself launched on social media back in 2014. Each weekly episode of the show offers an in-depth analysis of Ryan Blaney's latest NASCAR Cup Series race, plus news, notes, and special guest interviews all throughout the year. This week, Steve and I preview the 2024 NASCAR Cup Series season. Steve, welcome back. It's our second episode of 2024. Coming fresh off uh, last week's episode, we talked about well, talked about the clash, and we welcomed front tire changer Ryan Flores to the show. I'll tell you what, we got a lot of great feedback from that interview, I thought. Yeah, you know, it's, like I said, you get, get to listen to it. If you go to YouTube, you can actually see it. Um, just such a great thing to listen to about uh, the work ethic and and what it takes to be a champion, you know. And we teased it a little bit at the end of last week's episode, and that's the fact we have another interview with another another team member from Ryan Blaney's uh, number 12 Ford Mustang Team Penske crew, and that's going to be the brand new spotter for Ryan Blaney, and that is Tim Fidua, a former driver himself who won multiple races in the NASCAR Bush Series, won a championship as a spotter for Kevin Harvick, who he was with for nearly the last decade he comes over to the 12 car as they go out and try to defend their Cup Series championship from 2023. So stay tuned uh, to this episode. We're going to give you that 2024 season preview. Then we're going to transition right over into that interview with Tim Fidua. Then we'll be back with you to talk a little bit about the interview and close out the show. So stay tuned. But for now, let's jump into this, Steve. We're just days away from the 2024 Daytona 500, the true kickoff of the 2024 season. But I think there's a lot of new things to talk about. And that's kind of what I want to do. It's like, what's new in 2024 for the NASCAR Cup Series? And uh, right off the bat, I think we're going to go on the mechanical side. We're going to talk about the next-gen car itself. We're a few years into the next-gen car. But we're also on what I think this is going to be the third iteration of the Ford Mustang body. Because last year, we got a new nose after the first season. And then this year, we got a brand new, pretty much new car from front to back. It's going to be the Dark Horse Mustang. And that thing looks mean. On the Toyota side, they also are debuting a new car, the Camry XSE. They previously were driving the Camry TRD. Um, So both of these cars get a makeover. Uh, Definitely in the front, you can see it. There is also some things that change in the back and the bumper area. And we mentioned going into the Daytona 500 what do you think the impacts are going to be here? Because obviously they they made a redesign to make improvements, but will the Ford still dominate super speedways? I don't think we're going to know for like a month. Um, you know, there are certain things with one wind tunnel tests. And I know that they've done and so forth, but uh, I'm getting a time. I, you know, asked the question of uh, actually of Jonathan a week or two ago about that. And they really don't, you know, because part of the problem is you're going to have two manufacturers that have changed over. So you're going to have, uh, 
what would be probably about 16 to 18 cars out there totally different than they were last year, you know, and having uh, interact with each other as far as Ford's interacting with each other, but then having to interact with the Toyotas and what they're going to be like, and having to interact with the Chevys, um, you know, this week should be really, really wild. Uh, The duels Thursday night, um, hopefully it will shake out. But what's interesting is that you're right. They changed the nose last year and this is a whole, whole nother change this year. But the thing is, is, uh, Penske still had a championship both years <laughs> the first two years of the new car so I think that um, knowing how smart Jonathan uh, Tony and his crew are I think that it, to some extent it matters right off the bat okay you're going to get these changes you're going to see what they do you're going to try to work around them but as the year goes on you're going to see how they adapt to it what type of things they can change to help it. And, uh, you know, the big biggest thing is the mile and a half were a little bit lacking. So does this help them on mile and a half right off the bat? And can they adjust as the year goes on and, and keep doing the things that they were doing to be so fast at the end of the year? So, I, you know, I have total faith and confidence in, in Jonathan and his ability to, uh, you know, make a change or figure out a way if something isn't just right, uh, but hopefully what happens is, is this is a change that's totally positive right off the bat. And then he's just playing in the sandbox, having a good time. You know, I'm almost more interested to see what happens with the Camry, especially on super speedways, because they, the way that they've reshaped the nose of that Toyota, it looks like it's a little bit more adept to bump, uh, push or bump drafting. And we did see, was it, Christopher Bell is that the one who who tagged Ryan in the back at the the summer Daytona race that where Ryan was leading? Um, some of the Camry nose kind of came came out to a point a little bit. It just didn't seem like it locked bumpers well with other cars. So I feel like they almost maybe gave up a little bit aerodynamically to get a little bit better at super speedways. And I don't know if that's a a Denny Hamlin push, you know, somebody that had been dominant on those tracks until the new car. But I guess we're gonna have to see what happens there and we'll know soon enough, especially when we get to Daytona this week. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have a couple super speedway races pretty quick off the bat this year on the schedule. So, um, but Thursday night, you know, and, and really what would be really interesting is what happens Wednesday night with qualifying. So hopefully you've listened to this by Wednesday night uh, because generally the Fords gave up speed and didn't worry about qualifying as much as maneuverability and how that car was going to draft. Um, we'll know right off the bat if this makes a big difference just watching qualifying um, as long as there's no weird weird uh, wind changes and so forth when they go out there. Uh, you know, because years past, it's Hendrick, 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 you know, at the front. Um, so if a couple of the Penske cars are actually in that top five or so uh, come, come the end of the night, Wednesday night, uh, we'll know that it, it probably made a difference. Now, something else that's changing with all of the cars in 2024, and it was something that was a hot topic, man, second half of the year, all the way through the playoffs and actually after the championship race because NASCAR held some tests, and that's going to be the short track package for these cars in 2024. Uh, They're going to introduce a simplified rear diffuser that has fewer vertical strakes in the back. The idea here is to lower the downforce at the front of the car. Um, they're also going to add a little bit to the spoiler going from a two inch to a three inch spoiler. 
they've been fighting this with this new car, trying to get short tracks better and better because out of the gate, this car was amazing on mile and a half. It fixed that. And that was something with the previous generation was lacking a little bit, but then they get to these short tracks, Bristol and Martinsville and Richmond, uh, flatter tracks like New Hampshire, then even the championship race, you know, at Phoenix and the racing and the excitement was lacking a little bit. So they've been pushing really hard to try to fix this. They had multiple tests last year no one seemed necessarily excited. So what are your expectations for these changes in 2024? Does it make the car looser? Is that what they're looking for? You know, because the racing becomes better if it's looser, right? Um, if it makes the car looser, then fabulous. Because we know that what Ryan can do with a loose race car. Uh, uh, he was just on uh, Parker Klingerman's uh, podcast last week. And that's what he said. He said he's better at driving a loose race car than anything else. And it fits his driving style, right? So if it made the car a little looser, that's that's fabulous. I guess Christopher Bell did pretty well with the test. Uh, we didn't hear, hear a lot about what, what the Ryan did at the, at the test when he was there in Phoenix. But um, being at the test period is, is like an advantage because you're, you know, you're giving the ultimate feedback right away. You know what the differences were. Um, you know what you had to operate with. So He's going to be just a hair of a step ahead of the other guys until they go pre- go practice the first time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can't wait to see what it actually does. If it does a big difference, a minor difference, you know, I know that a couple people kept saying, let's change the horsepower, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's not, I don't think, there's some people say, do that, and, you know, and there are other people saying, if you do it, it doesn't do anything. So I don't. I don't know what, what to go with there, but I mean, let's, let's see what this uh, adjustment does first, you know, because they, Here's another thing. They've made adjustments halfway through a season before, too. Um, it's just a matter of whether they can implement the adjustment, uh, whether it's cost effective, whether it's something that's a minor thing that they can that all the teams can, you know, do over over a short time span or not. So, yeah, I really thought this would be when they would make a change to the gear ratio. And again, I don't know that much about the mechanics of the car, and the engine, especially when you talk about horsepower, all that stuff. But all I know, and I've said it multiple times last year and the year before the next gen car, I hate that they're shifting constantly. I hate that seems like that's all they're worried about at Martinsville uh, is shifting, shifting, shifting. Some drivers say they want to get rid of it. Other drivers or no, they're like, no, I don't, I don't mind the shifting. And I think that's because of what it does is they could blow a corner, drop the, you know, drop a gear, and then keep going <laughs> and not necessarily lose any, any of their momentum. So I think some might be afraid of losing that. Um, my other concern with the short track package, we're coming out of, uh, you know, second last race of the year. We were at that race, Martinsville Speedway, the 12 car, something that Jonathan Hassler, his team of engineers figured out at the shop heading into Martinsville. Their car was by far better than every single other car in that entire field. He passed cars on his way to victory on the outside, you know, after the different pit stop strategies played out. Um, I I'm nervous that, they, that they'll lose something, but I also know the rest of the field could probably catch up and maybe figure out what they were on to. But man, there was nobody in Martinsville that was better than that 12 car. So part of me is like, I don't know, maybe don't touch the short track package because I want to see some more grandfather clocks showing up in, in folks, uh, the crew members and Ryan and everyone's houses. You know, these guys are all pretty close to each other. They have different driving styles as a whole. Um, but Sometimes when you hit on something with the right driver at the right place, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty special. And 
So yeah, some teams may catch up, but it doesn't mean their drivers can handle the, whatever that catch up is, you know? So I, I, I'm not too worried just yet. Also worth noting that Ryan Blaney was really, really, really good at Martinsville. Probably one of the best drivers at Martinsville without a victory going into 2023. And finally he kind of gets over that home and gets the clock. So um, I think they, they finally put everything together. So we'll, we'll see what happens in 2024, but much like super speedways, no matter the car, no matter the rules package, Ryan's been good everywhere throughout his career. And that's continued to go forward. So those are kind of the changes with the cars, the Ford, the Toyota short track package, things like that. Um, some of the other changes that are going to be coming at us in 2024 are changes to the schedule. Um, there's not a ton of drastic things, but there is some some new stuff that are going to you know cause create some buzz throughout the year as we go on. And uh, how did how do you think about? We'll just kind of roll through some of those. And one of them going to start right off the bat, right after this week at Daytona. Instead of going out west, the Cup Series is just going to head a little bit north from Daytona to Atlanta Motor Speedway. Two super speedway style races are going to kick off uh, the 2024 season as they head to Atlanta and race there on Sunday, February 25th. I can tell you myself, I'm already packing. I packed coats last year when that race was sometime in March, but man, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a little bit chilly. Track's going to be super gripped up, but hopefully there's enough cars after the carnage that could take place at Daytona to race the next week at Atlanta doing a similar style event. Yeah, I'm sure they're already prepping the, the Atlanta car right now as we speak. But uh, didn't they used to go to Atlanta the second race of the year before under the old schedule way back when? I mean, yep. I don't think, you know, so they, this is something that they've done before. It, this, these, all these schedule changes, you said new schedule. I don't think this is going to be something that's going to be like this next year. A lot of what, what we're going to talk about has to do with the Olympics and NBC's cover the, coverage of the Olympics versus, uh, you know, having uh, – having the uh, rights to the NASCAR season. So, uh, you know, the things we're going to hear about are going to be great to try as an experiment, but I don't think when 25 rolls around with its new part television partners, we're going to see quite the same thing. As a matter of fact, those television partners are going to ask for certain things, maybe back the way they were for obvious reasons. Yeah. And the other reason for this move for Atlanta moving up is the fact that uh, Auto Club, California Speedway out there, or what's left of it, is not online as a short track yet, and they said they're not even confident that it'll be ready for 2025. I think initially the target date pre... I think they started, they announced like while the pandemic was still happening that maybe this year or even last year would have been the year it would have been turned into a short track, but that project stalled mightily over the last couple of years. I've seen uh, what Jeff Gluck and some other reporters were out there for the clash. They went and stopped by and I paid their respects, I guess, to the, the old track out there. So that's part of the reason why Atlanta has moved up because that uh, West Coast swing is now just down to a two-race swing between uh, Las Vegas and Phoenix that are going to be the third and fourth races of the year. Yeah, I don't I don't really know if Calif- if they're going to do anything with California. You know, you, you're pretty, you sound pretty confident, but I've heard different things. I've heard that we're not sure and nobody's really said yet and other people are like, yeah, they're going to do that. And I, until there's a really an official announcement and they actually start moving toward building something, I, I don't know if I believe anything's going to happen there. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it, a lot of it's being eaten up by development because that land around there is just so, so much more valuable uh, mm-hmm. to sell or lease than it is necessarily to be a racetrack. So I'm confident that they want to be in that market. That's the only reason why I think something will stick around there. It's just going to be in a much smaller footprint. And I just hope 
They do all the iRacing tests that they possibly can to make sure the racing there will end up being pretty good. Next change that's coming our way in 2024, Bristol Motor Speedway. The spring race moves up a little bit earlier to March 17th, and they've ditched the dirt. We're back on concrete at Bristol, back to two concrete races at Bristol. What are your thoughts? Do you miss it being, are you going to miss it being dirt? Are you going to miss it being on Easter weekend? And uh, what do you think about it moving up just a, a little bit earlier in the year? Well, yeah, it moves back to where it was because um, it always used to be around the end of March before, and that's that's okay. Are they are they still going to put dirt down after they're there and have those other racing series? Because that was the one. Yeah, that was the one thing that I really really liked about it was, uh, okay, yeah, we're going to do this, but we're also going to have, you know, all these other dirt series be able to come in and race in this arena, and you know, to see different. Uh, the different things come through there, sprint cars and, you know, and so forth come through there. It just was fabulous to watch some of that too. And I thought that was a great thing that it was like a byproduct of, of, of what they were doing is like, okay, we're going to put this in here. We're going to put all this dirt in here. We're going to rearrange things a little bit, but we're going to run some other stuff too, you know, so you get to see other things and you get to see the dirt car guys got to go in there. And that for those guys, that'd be fabulous to be able to do, you know, so that part I think I'm going to miss more than anything else is, uh, you know, get to see some of our sprint car guys get to race there. Yeah, it's definitely a good opportunity for them, the more of the grassroots level racer. And then obviously the elite folks from the World of Outlaw series and uh, the late model series that had an opportunity to race there on that kind of big stage. I am thankful that I did get to go to at least one of the cup races on dirt. It was the second year uh, that they ran there and Ryan had a pretty decent run. So I'm glad I got to experience it. Am I going to miss it? Not necessarily. Um, maybe once this race is is held and hopefully it's, I mean, if it's not good, then we'll see. I think if it's not good, we might be looking at uh, that spring race date getting replaced by, you know, Nashville Fairgrounds or something in the, in the future if they can get uh, things squared away with the government there. But <laughs> we'll have to see, see where that goes. But I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to be happy to see it on concrete one more time, but let's just see what happens. I, you know, I want to go back to dirt somewhere. Um, maybe not do the, do the type of thing where you, you know, take it an asphalt track and cover it. Right. Let's go to a Let's go to a dirt track. That's an actually really good dirt track and, you know, still have one dirt race. Cause I think what was cool about it is, you know, you got these guys who in the last 10 to 15 years have went from just driving ovals to ovals and road courses and street courses and then you added dirt to it too. Uh, and I thought that was really great. Even if it was just one race on dirt, you know, one street race, that's fabulous because they should be able to do all these other things. You know, they should be able to know, uh, you know, how to, how to race the different uh, discipline of racing in those cars, you know? So I, I think they really ought to go to another dirt track somewhere, an actual dirt track. Next change that's coming up in 2024, Texas motor speedway moves out of the playoffs and into the spring, we're going to race there on April 14th. Now, we could probably have our own episode on Texas itself. It's a very, uh, a lot of fans aren't necessarily happy with how that track was reconfigured. Ryan Blaney did pick up an all-star victory there. He's picked up a victory there, I think, probably on the previous version, though, in the Xfinity series. Um, it's going to be cooler, much cooler. I know when they were there in the fall last year, the temperatures were very high, very hot for the fans and the drivers in the car. So 
Um, again, we're going to see maybe instead of a slick, hot track, it's going to be another gripped up track. I don't know if that will change the racing at Texas. We'll have to wait and see until April. But what do you think of this move? I think personally, to me, I think it's a good move for the fans. I think it's a good move maybe to get that track out of the playoffs specifically. And uh, let's see what they can do in April instead of the fall. Yeah, I think that's the one thing is that get it out of the playoffs because it it didn't do anything for the playoffs. Um, not you know nothing till till it becomes something different till they figure out what to do to make it better. Uh, whatever they got to do to make it better, it just yeah, it's it's probably a good move just to get it out of the playoffs. Next up, after eighteen years, Iowa Speedway gets its first NASCAR Cup Series date. NASCAR is going back to that track as a whole for the first time since 2019. So they've been away a little bit. They had Xfinity races there. They had truck races there in the past. ARCA races has raced there. Um, they've also run recently a lot of like doubleheader IndyCar Series races there the last few years as well. So Iowa Speedway, something that a lot of people have been asking for for years. We're going to finally get to see the Cup cars go there at least for this year. Um, I think the sanctioning body has said this wasn't a replacement for going to Canada like everyone thought they were going to do, um, that this isn't just a one-season deal. I think that remains to be seen when that 2025 schedule comes out. But, hey, uh, why not? Let's see what happens at Iowa. I mean, the fans, I, I'm pretty sure that place will be sold out. It's not huge. I think they do have to bring in some temporary stands, much like they do at Nashville Super Speedway. So um, I'm looking forward to it, something different. Let's see what happens. I think it actually already is sold out. I thought I read somewhere, but it, maybe that's it is. Thing. I, <laughs> you know, why did you build that place in the first place if you weren't going to use it? Right. You know, and uh, to give it a shot here is, is a good thing. Cause let's see what happens. Let's see how the racing is on it. It's a, it's a little bit different type of track than they would go to anywhere else. Um, you know, so I, I think it's a, uh, and uh, Ryan's had good success there too. Yes. In the truck, in the truck series, right? Yep. So this isn't new for 2024, but hopefully it gets a better shot at succeeding. I think it succeeded as far as race excitement went, but as far as the fan experience goes, I think um, they deserve a lot better. That's going to be July 7th for the Chicago street race. Second year that they're doing this, Steve. Um, I thought last year I definitely found myself, you know, Ryan wasn't necessarily in the hunt. Uh, I found myself rooting for SVG just for the chaos and just, you know, seeing a guy that that came in there and was able to dominate a race late. Now, was it because everyone was going back and forth between the the wet weather tires and the slicks and who could handle that, who could manage that? Um, They hit on something with SVG and he went to victory lane in his first ever cup race. So um, what do you think about Chicago? What do you think about street racing? I'm hoping that the weather holds off. That's the big thing. Um, to get a little bit of rain's one thing, but it was a deluge. It was, it was so bad, you know. And and they had to alter the Xfinity race and 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 how long the distance was on that. And they, you know, they did a great job getting it in, um, all things considered. Uh, but let's see what the event is like under the con- regular conditions. You know, underneath the. It does. You know what? Rain could be a, a factor, but not a deluge. You know, rain that you can run in, rain that you could actually race in is fine. Um, but just some of the things they had to go through, you know, last year, just hopefully that won't happen. I, like you said, the fan part of the experience too would be the interesting thing too, because a lot of the concerts and things that were set up around the event were all canceled because of that weather. So um, let's give everybody to get their money's worth out of it, you know, 
Another change that I'm looking forward to, I have on my schedule, July 21st, the Brickyard 400 returns on the Oval at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Hopefully we do travel up there and uh, get to see this race in person. First time in Indianapolis for us. So what do you think about that? Off the road course after a couple of years, back onto the traditional Oval. I know this is something except for maybe Michael McDowell, AJ, AJ Allmendinger (laughs) might not be too excited about it because of their success on the road course. But um, I just think the prestige is there. Even if the race isn't exciting, let's see what these next gen cars can do out there. Let's bring back one of NASCAR's crown jewels. I don't know. (laughs) Ryan had good success there on on the road course, believe it or not. I mean, if he doesn't get punted uh, by a bunch of, you know, rambunctious uh, others, um, he, he probably finishes top five the one time, uh, finished second, um, had a really good strategy at one point in, in the one race where he did get punted, where uh, they, they come out of the pits and almost came out with the lead. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that he did really well there, actually, and 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 was pretty good at handling uh, the way that course was set up. So, yeah, I kind of, you know, all I have is a bad memory of the Brickyard. I have that year that the tires were horrible, um, they tried to create a tire. They wanted a tire that gave, and it gave way too much, and they had to keep calling cautions every 15 to 20 laps. And, uh, you know, the racing has never been super there because of that. They, they can never get a, a tire that falls off because if you look at that racing surface as a whole, it's like a big cheese grater, and it was tearing up tires. And if you go with the too hard of a tire, um, you don't have cars moving around as much. Yeah. So, yeah, it just... It's going to be really interesting to see because it's what months again, we're, you know, a generation of different cars now too. Interesting to see with this car, how it operates going in the proper direction there. Um, so yeah, let's see, you know, let's see what happens. Hopefully the racing ends up being good. That's the main thing. So after this July 21st race at Indianapolis, we are on an Olympic break all the way until the August 11th race weekend for the cookout 400 at Richmond raceway. So uh, two-week break from NASCAR Cup Series racing while NBC goes and covers the Olympics. This is the first break teams are going to get all year long in the Cup Series. So they're going to be going, um, what was it, 28 races or something like that, crazy, all the way through, all the way until this Olympic break. And I'm sure um, some of the team members are going to try to at least take a whole week off, spend yeah. some time with families because, you know, we've interviewed several of them. And that's one of the things they always talk about, that grind. But um, I know a couple of podcasters out there that might be welcome to having at least a, a couple of breaks, maybe from spouting off opinions. What do you think? I don't know. 130 episodes so far. How many have I missed? Uh, zero, Steve. That's, you are correct, sir. <laughs> I was thinking about that when you said 130 episodes. Yeah. I, you know, I, it is what it is. It'd be kind of cool if uh, NBC does some things and maybe brings one or two of the drivers uh, over to Paris with them. And, uh, you know, Let's them help them with the broadcast there. That'd be kind of cool. I don't know. What I, hope it, sport, you know I hope NBC just rehires Dale Earnhardt Jr. That was kind of the bombshell thing last week that came out, right? Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> what about that, man? Who let um, that go? Um, I, I have a bad feeling that uh, it's, it's a negotiating ploy for sure. And, you know, there's going to be new television partners next year. So there are some, some things. But I listen to the download every week with him. And when he would recap his weekend's um, broadcasting last year, there were a couple things that he he said flat out he didn't like them. He didn't like the way they did it. He didn't like the production of the segment. He didn't like the fact he was scrambling back to the booth 
halfway through the first stage. He was missing parts of the race because of it, missing you know things that may have been important later in the race. And he just flat out said that. And the truth is, is maybe this is part of the negotiation ploy. Maybe he's like, you, re- you can resign me, but we can't do any more of that crap. You know, I got to be in the booth, you know. And I said to you, we were talking about this on Pia Text the one day, and I says, let's hire Rutledge Wood, Wood back and let Rutledge run around the track like a madman right before the race and do all these things that you had Junior and Jeff Burton doing. Um, or, you know, if you can't get Rutledge, uh, I know a couple guys that uh, would fit that role really good. Mamba would be awesome at doing that. Yeah. You know, plus he's a guy who actually's raced before too. So, you know, but this whole thing, I think it has a lot to do with that. And he's not going to come out flat out and say that. But money, I don't think, is an object. I mean, he's got his 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 empire, his Dirty Mo Media empire has gotten bigger and bigger. You know, he was an executive producer on the Netflix uh, documentary. So I I can't see it being about money. Uh, I think it has to do more about control of the broadcast so that he's not, um, you know, just being a, a show pony, you know, per se. And uh, even in the first beginning of the race, if something happens and he's not up in the booth, I, I feel it. I feel the difference. I don't, you know, you miss that excitement that he might yell something, you know, that he <laughs> sees because he does give you that. He just blurts something out sometimes. And that's, you know, that's half the fun. So yeah, yeah that's I'm, my opinion on that. You know, hundred percent agreement with you and with him when he's talked about, you know, he tries sometimes to say like, Oh, it's good experience for me to do these other things, but he still always circles back to the fact that I wish I was just in the booth giving my analysis. Um, he's even tried, you know, being the lead, uh, commentator sometimes yeah. uh, when R- Rick Allen isn't there. And I, he, I think he likes that challenge too, maybe just right. professionally, but he still wants to just be in the booth and man, NBC figure this out, get yeah. him signed back up. Uh, we need Dale Earnhardt Jr. In this, in this sport, in that capacity, I think, but if not, you know, tons of big things are happening at dirty Mo. They brought in the teardown. They have all these, they have extra shows now. I mean, they're their own NASCAR motorsports media conglomerate. So maybe there comes a point in time where, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Doesn't need to be on TV. He can do his own thing. So again, brought that up just because we're talking about that Olympic break and it's all happening because of NBC. So I thought that was a definitely a good segue into a little bit of conversation about good old Dale Jr. So we come back again from the Olympic break. We go to Richmond, we go to Michigan, we go to Daytona International Speedway on August 24th for the Coke Zero Sugar 400, the cutoff of the regular season. Not this year, though, Steve, because of that Olympic break, right. because of the way the schedule falls. Unfortunately, Daytona is going to be the penultimate race of the regular season because we're going to end things at the Cookout Southern 500, still on its traditional Labor Day weekend, September 1st. So it's going to be at a historic track still. It's going to be at a very tough track, but in a different way, definitely than Daytona. Um, what do you think about ending the regular season, at least for one year with the Southern 500? Yeah, that's that's what I said earlier about that. I don't think this is something that's going to stick because they discovered the formula with putting that Daytona race as the, as the last race because it gives, like I said, it gives everybody a chance who's not in the playoff picture. Um, you have that whole thing where a guy like Corey LaJoy could win the race, put himself in the playoffs, knock out somebody who's had a halfway decent year, but is at the bottom of the point standings. Um, you know, so they want that back and you're not going to get that at any other track than, you know, Daytona or Talladega, you know, you know, those are the, those are the type of tracks they want that type of race at. And, you know, this year, like I said, like you said, it was because of the dates and how it fell. 
and next year next year they'll clean it back up atlanta motor speedway is affected by another change in the schedule this time moving out of their july date and moving into september september the 8th atlanta is where the nascar cup series is going to kick off the 2024 playoffs adding another super speedway style race into the playoffs to go alongside talladega super speedway so we kick off the year super speedway style race we're going to kick off the playoffs with a super speedway style race yeah this will be interesting uh you know because you'll have two of them in in the playoffs now uh with uh, talladega coming up later later round so yeah i I, well, I went to we went to Atlanta last year and got to see one live. Um, but on TV too, the what they did with the track at first, I thought, oh, it's gonna not. I don't know how this is gonna work, but really, it it works quite well. Um, they've adjusted a couple things with like um, you know coming to pit road and so forth under under green conditions because they were having some issues trying to slow down, come off the track, so forth. So they adjusted those kind of things, got those things a uh, little more organized. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to see what happens. It should be pretty cool. Another style track that gets duplicated in the playoffs. This was a big change, especially for a lot of fans out there that like camping. Watkins Glen moves into the playoffs September 15th. So I can't remember off the top of my head what their normal date was, but it definitely wasn't this late in the year. So they're disrupting maybe some people's traditional vacations as far as camping goes, since that's such a big thing there. But now we're going to have two road course races in the playoffs with Watkins Glen and the Roval at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Watkins Glen, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, wh- where does it fall in the round? Is it the, it's the middle of the round, right? It is the yeah second race of the round of 16. The second race. So I guess it's okay there because you want that Roval. Roval is always the end of a round kind of a thing, you know. Um, this is where Chase Elliott probably – because <laughs> this is his best track, I think. And, and you know, this will be if he's in the playoffs, this will be where he wins this race to move on to the next round. You know, I know we're got not in the prediction thing yet, but uh, <laughs> that's just what I see happening. So you bring up the playoffs and the round. So why don't we? So that's those are kind of all the big major schedule changes for the year. Um, obviously, like I said, some of these things would create some buzz. Some of these things are going to. Uh, throw a wrench into some people's plans, whether it's uh, how they plan for the year or how race teams plan their year. But I think there's still plenty of excitement to go around. I'm kind of looking forward a little bit to that that Darlington uh, cutoff race. Let's see what they can do there. But let's go through the rounds now. Round of 16. It's going to, again, as we said, start September 8th, Atlanta Motor Speedway, then September 15th, Watkins Glen. The round of 16 will end September 21st with the Bass Pro Shops night race at Bristol Motor Speedway. So round of 16, Atlanta, Watkins Glen, Bristol. That is a treacherous round to open up the Cup mm-hmm. Series playoffs. Yeah, but I I think for you know for our purposes for you know who we follow, um, that should be a lot of fun. He was really really good with Atlanta mm-hmm. uh, and and under that configuration. Watkins Glen, who knows? You know, there are some points in times in the last two years that where they were really good with the road course packages and then there were points of times really bad with the road court pass packages so let's see what happens um but then bristol's bristol you know yep uh really really fun to that you know that that being at the end of a round is a really really great thing too so yeah i'm pretty excited about it bristol's a good track for blaney too i mean he's won in there in the xfinity series and the truck series he's come close had some really good cars there in the past in the cup series so it's time for him to pick up uh 
pick up that win there and finally get a sword. He never got a sword for his other two wins there in the other two series. He's always mentioned that. So time for Ryan to get his own sword from Bristol. Playoffs round of 12 starts September 29th. Kansas Speedway, October 6th, Talladega Super Speedway. And as you said, it's going to end the round October 13th with the Bank of America Roval 400 at Charlotte. So you have a mile and a half, a super speedway road course in the round of 12. I mean, I there don't think there's really is a round that's not challenging. This is another one. I, you know, once again, for our purposes here, you know, <laughs> Talladega last year looked pretty good. You know, it's just uh, did okay. moved around a little bit now. Yeah, I did all right. Um, the mile and a half. So let's see what the new bo- new new body does on the mile and a half. So maybe we will find a little bit extra there. Of course, last year, um, in the next round, uh, they did have the speed at the mile and a half. So maybe whatever they discovered as the year went on last year, will be there for them too. So, yeah, I see this as being a pretty good round for uh, for everybody. And uh, you know, hopefully, you don't get to the roval where you need to win or you know collect points. You know. Playoffs round of eight kicks off October 20th at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Then they move to Homestead Miami Speedway October 27th. And then it finishes off the round of eight, November 3rd, Martinsville Speedway. Um, 2023, uh, that was one heck of a round for Ryan Blaney. This was a championship defining mm-hmm. round for Ryan Blaney. Yep. Cue, cue the, uh, the Chris Conklin clip. <laughs> and just repeat, right? I mean, they, they're going to win one of these three. Doesn't matter. He's good at all three. And then let's get to Phoenix, right? So, yeah, that that's the part that's great about this. And this is the thing about the format and the way it's set up. Until they start swapping tracks out every other year, um, if they're going to keep it this way, uh, Penske cars figured this out. Get to that round. Get your guy in that round. And then, you know, blow them away for three weeks. Get yourself in the championship. And then what, for the third or fourth year in a row, the NASCAR Cup Series Championship is going to be held at Phoenix Raceway, November 10th. And hopefully we're uh, celebrating the first back-to-back NASCAR Cup Series Championship feat by Ryan Blaney in this elimination format. Hopefully that's what we're celebrating on November 10th next year. And uh, that might be a prediction. And I think we should talk some predictions, Steve. What do you think? Yeah. Well, this is like the fifth year in a row, right? Is it? It's been a while. (laughs) Chase... Chase, did Kyle win the championship there too? Larson did too, because yeah, they yeah, got Chase, off pit road uh, first. Joey, Ryan, there's four right there. So, yeah. Fifth year in a row. Yeah, there so. we go. Come back to Homestead. To, <laughs> predictions to go, yeah, there, you want that. Uh, predictions to go wrong, right? Or too early. Predictions too early. These are definitely maybe the two early predictions, especially since we don't know what's going to happen with this dark horse body. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with all the other race teams, but I think it'd be fun for us to do go through some predictions here and uh, tally them up and keep them uh, keep them locked away all the way through the season. And then when we do the season finale episode, maybe we can come back to these and see where we ended up. So Steve, in 2024, how many top tens will Ryan Blaney tally and i will give you in 2023 it was 18 mm. i feel like we need the jeopardy music or something oh, yeah i'm ready thinking I'm, I'm sorry i'm doing a little writing here because i'll have them written down too for us to go back and look at um oh. let's go 20 20 yeah let's go a little more i'm gonna just do one more and i'm gonna say 19 all right Steve, how many top fives will the 12-team tally 
2024. In 2023, it was actually a little bit of a down year, if you can say that for a championship run, uh, compared to the last few years. He only got eight last year. Prior to that, it was 12, 11, 11, 11, and eight back in 2018. So eight top fives in 2023. What will he do in 2024? 11. Let's say 11. I like that number. I will say, I don't want to just keep going one below you, but I'm going to say 10. And it might be fair for me to switch this up and me go first and then you go second on this next one. I didn't think about that. I didn't think this All right, through. Yeah. All right, I'll do that. Um, in 2024, how many wins will Ryan Blaney accrue over the season? So uh, three wins season last year matched his total from a couple of years ago when he won three wins. So I want this multi-win seasons to keep on rolling and i'm going to say man i don't want to go under but i'm going to say four i was going to say two but i'm going to go with four 12 car wins four races in 2024 what do you think six six man steve is coming out that's right with the big shot of optimism did you see the last tiktok i did you were. Last You're ready to run through a wall. This, that's it. That last last year was a practice run. All right, Steve. 2024. What will the average finish be for the 12 team? If we look at last year, it was 14.1. The previous year, 13.6. The year prior to that, 2021, when he won those three races, 11.9. So, 14.1 last year. What will the average finish be for the 12 car in 2024? Maybe 11.7. I got to win in all these races. He's going to finish up there higher. I will say, oh man, this would not make sense with my top 10 Mm -hmm. prediction. I'm going to be all over the place. Um, Maybe that's okay. I'm going to say 10.9. Ooh. That's bold because that means they're averaging a top 10. I don't know. Why not? You said six wins. I'll say, yeah. (laughs) And the bad races aren't very bad yeah that's true doesn't you're saying he doesn't dnf very much and maybe he finishes 15th instead of 28th or you know things like that so yeah i can see that there are ways to justify them those numbers now i think this is a given and i think we'll both say yes will ryan blaney make the playoffs in 2024 it's yes for me i'm assuming it's a yes for you yeah i mean if not there's something that went bad you know and we don't want to talk like that so will uh, Ryan Blaney. Uh, how do I want to phrase this? I guess we'll just go with it because if he if he wins the championship, that made that means he made the championship four, and this could still be the answer. Will Ryan Blaney win the championship in twenty twenty four and go back to back? I'm I'm of the mind of Dale Junior. Back to back. All right, I, let's do this. Okay, so I guess I'll be. I'm going to say he is not going to win the championship, and that's not because I'm not confident in his team. I think it's just it's just so hard. It's so such a volatile race. You saw what happened to Christopher Bell in the in the championship four. You saw what you know. They had the they had a car that could come over overcome the what happened on the last pit stop, which wasn't necessarily a crew issue. It was just the the way things shook out. So I'm going to say no, but I will. I I predict he's going to make the championship four. That's the thing is like, excuse me, I, 
you know, used to be of the, of the mindset to not jinx something. Don't jinx it. You know, don't talk about it. Don't jinx it. But now after listening to and seeing these guys and the confidence in themselves, the confidence in the team and in themselves, you know, what we, like I said, with I said, Q Chris Conklin up earlier, you know, I mean, that's, that's the kind of confidence they have in themselves. That's the confidence that Brian has in himself. And it's just speaking things into existence too. You know, that's, that's the mindset. It's like, you know, you believe you can do it. You're going to do it. And I just, I feel that way right now. I feel like they really believe they can win every week coming up in the, in these next couple of months and down the stretch, they're going to do everything they execute to get to where they need to be. And then this year, I think he wins the race itself too. We don't mess around with Ross Chastain. I agree with you 100% on this confidence thing, because if you watch the Netflix documentary, which we didn't really kind of recap or anything on the, on the podcast, but you know, they interviewed Ryan in that last round of the playoffs. And he said, basically said, nobody's been faster than us. You know, basically he didn't call a shot, but basically said like, you know, we're the fastest car. We should win the championship. And he mentioned, you know, he has his dad kind of being his, his coach all the way through the playoffs, telling him that, you know, he's a champ. He has the best shot at being the champion. He's the best driver there. There's a path that he can go on. You hear that at the top of our audio version of the show. Now, you know, there's a path they can see it. So you're right. I mean, there is no more jinx anymore. All of those guys, we talked to Ryan Flores. He said he told Roger Penske at Joey Logano's uh, championship party the previous year that the 12 car was going to go and win the championship too. So it's from the top to bottom, everybody, everybody, everybody there at Penske is confident that they will be champions and they've done it two years in a row. Let's, you know, let's be like the chiefs. Let's make this thing a dynasty for team Penske and go for three. Uh, I don't think the two car is going to be the one that steps up and does it this year. So we got the 12 and the 22 to do it. And I'm hoping that it's the 12 that becomes, as I said, the first one to go back to back uh, in this format. And that would be awesome to see. So we've previewed the whole year, 2024, uh, we've mentioned Daytona along the way, and that is going to kick off the season, and that's happening this weekend. Daytona uh, Super, uh, Daytona International Speedway. Man, I'm already rusty, and it's you know the second episode in Daytona International Speedway here in Florida. Uh, don't want to talk about the weather, Steve, because <laughs> it's like this every year. It's uh, you know we're recording this on a Monday. Who knows what's going to happen? Right now, things don't look great for the weekend. But I'm hoping it's just one of those days where maybe it sprinkles a little bit here and there. We can get this race in because I'm really looking forward to this. But things are going to kick off this Wednesday, February 14th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, the NASCAR Cup Series Daytona 500 qualifying. You can catch that on FS1. As of right now, I believe there's 41 cars entered into this race, unless they've added another in the last couple hours. But I saw 42. um, So if it's 42, it's a 40-car field. So there could be a little bit of drama. Uh, between Wednesday, because times are going to matter for those cars that are trying to get in that don't have a charter. If you are fast, if you're among the top two fastest of the non-charter teams on Wednesday, you're going to lock yourself into the race. And then after that, it's going to be your result in the dual races. And those dual races are going to happen on Thursday, February 15th, 7 p.m. Eastern time, the NASCAR Cup Series Blue-Green Vacation Duels, also on FS1. Ryan Blaney is a past winner of one of these dual races. Uh, that was an exciting year to see him go on and win that. And uh, why don't we kick off 2024 with another trip to victory lane, especially at a place at Daytona. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Wednesday night, like I said, said earlier, Wednesday night, I, I can't wait to see what happens because you're going to see an immediate thing with the Fords and the new body in qualifying and how they're trimmed out. And uh, we'll probably see if it makes a difference or not, you know, 
as long as nobody really messes their lap up. I, I can't wait to see what happens there. So Wednesday night qualifying, Thursday night the duels, Friday. So imagine this. We've qualified. We've raced. And then finally on Friday, let's get a practice in. So 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, the NASCAR Cup Series practice on FS1. So they're finally going to practice these cars. I still think this is a little bit backwards. I still wish they would put at least a short practice before qualifying because we saw a couple of years ago guys hit the you know pit road to go out and qualify and their car won't start or um, your uh Connor, I forget his last name, but um, his car's just Connor bouncing Daly. up. Connor Daly's yeah. car's just bouncing up and down like crazy. And that's something they could have caught if, you know, they had at least one practice. I say just move one practice up there before qualifying yeah. and make me happy. But make it a, make it a non, make it a non drafting practice where you can't draft with anybody, but at least give everybody a chance to shake the car down. Yeah, that, that would make sense. So 5 30 um, PM Friday, that's that first practice. And then the, the truck race is Friday night, correct? It is. I didn't put any times down for the, the other okay. series this time, but you can you can go in there. Well, well, here's the thing. I, I want to mention it because, you know, uh, he's he's somewhere else now. But if you're following Josh Williams, he is going to spot uh, in the uh, truck series and Xfinity series. And the truck series is going to be the number 38 truck, front, uh, front row, of Lane Riggs uh, this weekend. So, uh, so if you want to still follow Josh around a little bit and uh, hear him on other races like I used to do, um, he's still going to be in the truck series. Uh, it won't be Zane anymore, but it'll be Lane Riggs and 38 truck. And then the, the Xfinity series on Saturday, it's the number nine car uh, of Brandon Jones in the Xfinity series. So uh, Josh can be a very, very busy man uh, this season. Um, so if you, you know, do get to scanner and you want to listen in and hear Josh, uh, you might, you know, you might miss him on Sunday, uh, but uh, on Fridays and Saturdays, you, he's still in the truck series and still in the Xfinity series. So, so Friday, that truck race is at 7 30 PM Eastern time. Also on FS one on Saturday, 10 30 AM cup series, final practice on FS one. So they, they'd get that one practice on Friday. They're going to get another practice on Saturday to make sure their Daytona 500 cars are dialed in. Then later on Saturday, we have a double header here. We have the Arkham Menard series at 1.30 PM Eastern time. And they named the Xfinity series at 5 PM Eastern time. Both of those are going to be on FS1. The Arca series, man, has a huge field of cars trying to make this race. Uh, a lot of interesting people trying to make this race. Actually, it's kind of cool for me. There's like two or three local Florida drivers that I see at short tracks around here that have put some ARCA cars together, and I'm looking forward to see what they can do. Uh, another uh, interesting thing uh, for people yeah. that are following the Xfinity series is this, I don't know, is this what I'm going to say? I don't know what I'm going to say. Go ahead, go ahead. I think I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. Frankie Munez. Oh, okay. Well, you're uh, that's Frankie. what I'm going to say. I want to talk about Frankie. Frankie, wait a Frankie what about uh, the guy that they, they're making somebody – who's driving the Xfinity race, race the ARCA race. Oh yeah. Thought, uh, thought, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen is going to be running in the ARCA race to hopefully qualify to be able to run the X. I think, I mean, I think he's going to run Xfinity no matter what, but uh, that's kind of the idea to get him some experience out there on the super speedway. So Shane, I don't know what car he's driving. I'm sure he will have track house support in some form or fashion, but yeah, he's going to be in the ARCA race um, Xfinity series race. You know, he's going to be running for colleague racing full time. So he's going to have a taste of that there, but yeah, I was just going to offhand Frankie Munez is going to make his NASCAR debut. He's been the ARCA series all last year. He's going to run for Joey Gase motorsports. Um, he says he's going to attempt to make his first race, but I think Gase had bought some points and stuff unless they're spreading that around to one of their other cars. So, uh, it's a, it's a decent chance that the former star Malcolm in the middle, um, is going to have an opportunity to run in his first NASCAR, uh, 
sanctioned race there in the top three series of the sport. So 5 p.m. Eastern time, Xfinity Series, United Rentals 300. Um, and then Sunday, we get to the big show, kicking off the 2024 season at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time, the NASCAR Cup Series 2024, Daytona 500. Everything else has been on FS1. This one's going to be on the big network on Fox. As I mentioned, there's rain in the forecast. There's points of the week where it was pointing to 80, 85% chance rain. A little bit earlier today, I looked and it dropped down into the 60% chance rain, but the temperatures have been dropping too down into the 60s. So it might be a little bit more of a chilly start to this Cup Series season. Hopefully not a super rainy start, but as we will, we have talked about in the past, anytime that I go to a race, there's always a chance of weather. I made a joke in our Discord chat that I feel like I've spent more than half of my life waiting out rain delays under the grandstands at Daytona. <laughs> so, I mean, nothing new, but man, I just wish we could, you know, we had all that rain impact at the clash and we had a week off and honestly, things were beautiful here last week in Florida. Uh, the weekend for the, uh, the race for the 24 hours of Daytona looked like rain was threatening, but it actually held off until after the, the race was over. So I'm hoping that's what happens for us. We get this race in on Sunday and uh, Ryan Blaney is among one of the, the favorites to win the race. Let me uh, throw a couple names at you here real quick. Lee Petty, Richard Petty, Cale Yarborough, Jeff Gordon, Dale Jarrett. Do you know what those guys have have in common at Daytona? I'm going to guess that they are the only drivers to win a Daytona 500 as the defending Cup Series champion. Oh, man, you cheater. Gotcha. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought that was a super stat. Uh, awesome. Something to think about. You know, we have a defending champion and uh, Lee Petty in 1959, Richard in 1973, Yarbrough in 77, Jeff Gordon did it in 1999, and Dale Jarrett did it in 2000. So um, let's see if, uh, you know, Ryan can add his name to that list. Uh, you know, Skip Flores, you know, when you asked him the question last week uh, about, uh, with the goals for this season, he said, what's the first goal? Let's get the monkey off our back and, and win a 500. And uh, we, you know, don't forget your fantasy lineups too, by the way, because the NASCAR Fantasy Live League will be starting up this week. Um, so. And um, yeah, just a quick thing on the Fantasy League. It's full. Um, it's been full for a couple of years now, but what I'm going to do is just what I've done the last few years. Two weeks in, if you have not set a lineup, you're going to get the boot to let more Blaney fans in because even if you get into the league after two or three weeks, there's still plenty of time to catch up and beat the likes of me. Um, maybe the likes of Steve, I'm not sure, but at least the likes of me when it comes to the full season standings. So if you're not in the league, just kind of be a little bit patient. Um, if you, if you're interested at some point, if you go to the NASCAR fantasy app and you search for team Blaney podcast, you'll find our league there, but it is full. I'm pretty sure as far as I know right now, it, it kind of caps you at a hundred unless you're with a, you know, a major uh, network or something like that. So we're capped at a hundred, everybody's in there, but you know, I went through all the names just to see if there's anybody I could remove from last year. And I, I just felt like almost all the names I was looking at were people that throughout the season have finished in the top five, top 10 of the weekly standings. So that's kind of a fun thing that we recap from week to week here on the podcast. So that was our 2024 what's new in 24 season preview. And I think we've made them wait long enough, Steve, for this, you know, they've just been anticipating our second interview of the 2024 season on the Team Blaney podcast. And it's another one. Uh, we've been looking forward to this ever since we heard that this guy is going to be joining the number 12 team for this season. And that's going to be the brand new spotter for Ryan Blaney in Tim Fidua. 
And we're going to welcome him here right now on to the Team Blaney podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. So um, it's another another year, a new season. We had Josh Williams, Ryan's previous spotter, depart the team at the end of 2024 after the championship run. Um, fans get a little bit nervous when things change, especially after something as big as a championship. But we got some great news after the end of the year that we had a really great replacement coming our way. And that's you, Tim. So um, what are your first thoughts on joining a new team, joining a championship winning team, and um, just that outlook on that that change? I mean, you know, obviously, you know, being somewhere as a SHR for 10 years. So it was, uh, you know, it was a little different coming over. You're, you're a little bit apprehensive. But uh, when I when I done some talking with with everybody at Penske and, and Ryan and Jonathan, uh, you know, I started feeling a lot better about it. Um, you know, I, that was an opportunity that was just too good to pass up. So um, I'm, I'm so glad that uh, we get to work together and, and uh, glad that it all came together. The stars aligned. Um, it, it's just, uh, you know, it's an amazing thing. Sometimes how everything comes together and uh, um, they, they won the championship. You know, we talked a little bit before the end of the season um, you know, I knew the, the job was available or going to be available. And uh, so I was excited at the prospects of talking to him at the end of the season. And it just did all it all worked out to where um, where it is now. And uh, now I'm just ready to go racing. Now, when a lot of fans hear the name Tim Fidua, um, they might think that sounds familiar. And it should sound familiar to a lot of people because you had a really successful and long career in motorsports as a driver before you even stepped into the role of spotter. Um, one thing we like to do on these interviews with team members is we like to kind of tell your story, tell your background and ask you some, a few questions about how your career progressed. So we go all the way back to the beginning. And I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times, you know, What's your first memory of racing? How did you get into racing? And, you know, where are you, where are you from? But from what I understand, you know, racing was kind of like the family thing. Yeah. That's what everybody did. Yeah, it is. I mean, much like, you know, Ryan's family, my, my my grandfather did it. My grandmother even raced some Um, when she wasn't racing, she was working on my grandpa's car and uh, they, they raced shoot in the fifties and even in the forties a little bit. And then, uh, my dad and uncle came along, uh, Butch and Gary, Butch is my father, Gary's my uncle. And, um, they started racing and, uh, you know, then I was old enough to get going and, and, uh, um, it just, that's all I've ever known since I was a baby is, is being at the racetrack. So, uh, um, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I've never had a real job. So, I mean, that's awesome, right? What's the first, uh, like first vehicle you got behind the wheel of, uh, at least that you remember that you really started to find success in? Uh, well, you know, I mean, just a late model. I started on dirt up in northern Michigan from uh, Holt, Michigan, Lansing area in southern Michigan. And uh, just getting on the dirt track and, and ripping it up and thinking that's uh, pretty cool. And and uh, But the first real stuff we, we started, I got with the car owner, Ray, Ray and Dan DeWitt, and uh, they brought me into some uh, art goal racing, which was competitive Midwest late model series and uh, ASA. And then uh, we we moved everything down south to uh, North Carolina and, and done some ARCA and, and Bush series racing. And, and that was really when it started going um, in, in a good direction. Um, but uh, didn't spend a lot of time at home racing. I was always on the road and uh, at different tracks every week. And uh, that was nice. I, I think, you know, other than some the, the 
I, I kind of, I was jealous a little bit, a lot of my buddies that raced local tracks and won cha- track championships and stuff. I was always at a different track every week because that's kind of what my dad wanted me to do just to get well-rounded. And uh, I think he was right, but I always had regrets of not running, uh, you know, local tracks and, and being a 10 time track champion or something, mm-hmm. you know, the dream, <laughs> dreams, whatever dreams I had going on at that time. But, uh, um, I have no regrets now. You had a mixture of dirt and asphalt or just asphalt at that point? Or? Well, we, I started on dirt. I ran, uh, maybe two years on dirt and then, uh, quickly moved to asphalt and, in, in, uh, late models, super late models. And, uh, um, that was pretty much what I ran the rest of time. Now my dad and uncle, they run dirt sprint cars, super modified dirt. Uh, back then, you know, you raced, if you had a late model, you raced dirt one night, dirt Friday night and, and pavement on Saturday. You really didn't. My dad always says, if you don't tell the car, it won't know the difference. So we, uh, you know, that's what you did. And, uh, um, nowadays it's a little more separated, obviously. Um, but, uh, back then, you could do whatever you wanted and you just change a car over and, and go racing. But, uh, um, it, it was, a, it's a different time now for sure. Uh, but, but I always enjoyed racing in Michigan and, and, uh, doing a little bit of both. Now ASA and the ARTCO uh, series and stuff that you're involved in, those are some pretty legendary series that a lot of legendary drivers that went on to become cup champions and stuff came through. Um, what was it like racing at that level? And do you think that really got you prepared to make the jump into NASCAR after you guys, you know, got all, got all the way down to North Carolina? I mean, it was hard. It was, I mean, I never won an ASA. I won, I won a race in Argo, uh, you know, the, the short track nationals in uh, Rockford, Illinois, which is, was a cool win for me. Um, but ASA, I, I, I think I finished third a couple of times and came close, but you know, you're racing with Butch Miller and uh, Bob Seneca, Mike Eddy. Uh, Mark Martin at times, you know, there was just a lot of different, uh, Dick Trickle, of course. And back then, you know, you just, not that it's easy to win now or ever was, but it, it was particularly tough then. And uh, I never stayed there long enough to really to, just as I got going and to where I felt I was getting really competitive each week, we moved down south and concentrated our effort in the Bush series. So um, that another little regret I had. I wish I could have stayed and raced a little longer. Um, perfect world in the, in the ASA series and, and uh, won some races and, and then moved down South. But, you know, when it's time to go, it's time to go. And, and uh, I was, I was fortunate enough to have good people behind me that, that, you know, paid, paid my way in, uh, in the sport. So um, very fortunate. So you made that jump to what was then called the Bush series now Xfinity and you race there from 92 to around 2005 ish. And to give people, uh, you know, example here, I said you had a successful career, four wins, 25 top fives, 66 top tens uh, across all of those seasons. Um, it looks like your most successful season was around 1998 Kleenex car. I think if you know people think about you racing back then, that was probably one of your most uh, popular cars in the photos that they'll see. Yeah. For, uh, Bill Bumgarner, what was so special about that time? Maybe even specifically that year where you picked up like two wins and, you know, tons of top tens, top spot, top fives, like what came together that year that really made you guys competitive? I don't know. I think just the team I was with, I was with base motorsports. I and mean, like you said, Bill Bumgarner, I was teammates with Randy LaJoy at the time and they just won two championships back to back. And um, I think that was their third as a team. I think Johnny Benson won it a couple years before that. And, 
you know, so the, the team that was the first, when I joined it, 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 it obviously went to a two car team and they'd never done that before. Um, so just had a lot of fun racing with Randy and, uh, LaJoy, of course, he, he, if you, if you don't know Randy, you need to probably have him on your podcast. You ready? <laughs> Everybody will watch because you never know buckle what up. Gonna say. <laughs> yeah, buckle up. That's dang sure. But we, we, uh, just had a lot of fun then. And, uh, we had really good race cars and, um, it, it was just, a I don't know, just everything fit right. So you have a couple of connections to the Blaney's along the way that we'll talk about. Um, one we were just interested in, it looks like, you know, in around 2004, when you guys were at with Fitz Bradshaw, Dave did run a few races with that team. Do you remember anything from that time or when you guys maybe would have been just briefly teammates just for a week uh, or two here? Yeah, not, not really. I, I do remember. I mean, I remember watching Dave race, yep. you know, all over the place. I mean, just, yeah, he was a, a hero, right? Like, uh, but, uh, you know, I also remember him racing, racing against him at different tracks, uh, when he was in, the was the Amoco car, I think with, uh, yep. he raced that in the bush. I think Bill Davis racing. And, yep. uh, um, so yeah, I have memories of it and, uh, you know, just kind of, it was always kind of cool to, to have him around and, and, uh, you know, I was a big open wheel guy. So obviously, um, having him there was a was great for the series and uh um i i actually Corey lajoy sent a picture of me randy and dave all in our fire suits behind our trailer somewhere um i don't know where where he found that but uh he sent it to me recently and i didn't even I, it was the first time i'd seen that picture in a long long time so it was pretty cool so you did um before that bradshaw deal you, you did a little bit of spotting then you've got back in that car that I think you're actually were spotting for briefly. Um, I did. But then around what, 2006 is when you, you make the change, basically going spotting full time. Like what went into that decision? Did you again, think that you were done driving and this was going to be your new career or were you not really sure? I wasn't sure. You know, I knew, you know, the, everything was drying up as far as the driving goes. I was, uh, you know, I, I pretty much run my gamut. Um, I was out of money never really had any money, um, was just lucky enough to get rides. And back then, you know, you could drive for people and, and, uh, you didn't have to, you know, it's a little different now. Yeah. You know, you pay for your ride. And I mean, there's still a lot of talented drivers that don't have a lot of backing that, that are able to get rides. And I think it's cool. Sometimes it gets a little bit overstated that, you know, everybody's paying for the rides and, and just in a lot of cases, that's not true. Right. Um, but, I, I knew my days were limited as a driver. Um, I remember one of the teams calling me and said, Hey man, you want to drive my car this weekend at Bristol? I'm like, yes, I'd love to. And uh, he goes, can you buy the tires? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I don't think so. And then I figured <laughs> I better find something else to do. Right. Like, um, and, and I was lucky enough to uh, Bill Elliott needed a spotter for some races um, when he was racing for his last, I think it was the second to last season with, with Ray. And uh, I'd known Bill here and there and and i got i just got going with that and um i actually i did i spotted for carrie some when he was uh, at fitz bradshaw carrier and Hart, and uh it just it led into uh, another career for me what would you uh for those that are listening that have been used to listening to josh on the radio the last several years like what would you describe your spotting style as we have the guys that are like coaches and cheerleaders 
Uh, Josh was more like cool, calm, collected. We'd like to think like, what do you, where do you think you fall kind of in that range? Mm, I try to be, I'm, I'm pretty um, calm and cool, I think, but I also try to, uh, um, you know, I don't know if coaching is the right word. It, it, it depends. You can spot up or spot down for whatever particular driver you have. Like, obviously, um, you know, I do the Xfinity series. I do a truck. I do. So, it, you know, and then you, I'm going to do Ryan. Like, Ryan's got a lot of experience. I really don't have to tell him how to drive or, or help him with the situation that a young driver wouldn't know. So, again, you spot up, you spot down. But uh, I try to just uh, I'd, I'd be a common effect on the radio and, and try to keep keep uh everybody calm and uh i don't know i i'm not uh i don't talk all the time but i talk a lot and uh obviously i talk more the speedway stuff you're you're always talking you never let off the mic um but i try to find a balance in between to where what makes the driver happy and and uh not say a lot of stuff that's just uh just chatter you know, but if that's what the driver wants and that's what you do. But like I said, you spot up, you spot down and uh, we'll see. I haven't worked with, with Ryan that much. We did a test um, in December. Uh, you know, we I've known him for, for quite a long time. And and uh, but, you never you know, once you get racing, these first few races are it's going to be a learning. You know, I'm not going to lie. It's going to be a learning process. I have to uh, learn what he wants. I've listened to Josh a thousand times just in him communicate and Jonathan. Um, so, you know, and if, in my opinion, I listen to Josh, it's like, it's like listening to me where there's not much difference. I don't think you're going to say, well, that's a whole lot different. Um, but, and I say that about a, a pretty much 75% of the roof. I think if you listen yeah. to us, we sound pretty much alike. There is a few guys, like you said, that, that really go up and beyond and really coach a little bit more, but in the cup series, I don't know um most of the veterans don't really want that right they they want to be told what's going on around them what somebody else is doing um but as far as i don't think they probably need to be coached a whole lot um they just need to know what the trends are where people are running and uh so i try to make a mix of all that and and uh keep it all together you know chemistry like that though does it take a long time to develop i mean 2014 you know, you're with your new driver there and within that end of that, by the end of that season, you guys win a championship. So, I mean, is it, is it something that it's just kind of like after a while that clicks or does it take a couple races or take a little while for you to put it together? I mean, I think it takes a couple races. I mean, luckily we got the clash, you go to the clash and then, you know, that's kind of a one-off and it's, it's a little bit different racing than what we're used to. And then we go to a couple speedway events, you know, Daytona, Atlanta, I would say, but after Atlanta, you know, of, of all the talking I'm going to be doing between them two races and, and uh, all the race and tight racing we're going to have, we'll have a pretty good idea of what we need to do. And, uh, you know, you go to, I think, Vegas maybe after that. Um, so I think, you know, by Vegas, three races in, you should have it down pretty good. We, we, by this time, we've talked, we've sat down, we've watched, you know, uh, we've watched races together. And I think you'll have, we'll have a good idea what we need or don't need to do and need to say and I, I I you know I don't really put too much into it I think it'll all be great Steve mentions that championship that you won uh, when you moved over to Kevin Harvick's team in 2014 you guys went on to win about 37 or so races together in that time um, he retires last at the end of last season and um, 
he, he had an interesting career where you know he's real brash and everything at the beginning. I think by the end he's a real fan favorite. But uh, what was your time like? You know, with the four car with Kevin and um, just the the success you guys were able to uh, build together. That was cool. I mean, we you know like to coming off first year, we had such a such fast cars, and Kevin was just you know really really fast every weekend and um you know to win a championship then and and uh just get that out of the way i guess early and then we went on to win races every year just about other than last year which, which really kind of sucked for us for kevin we wanted to get him a win bad the team did in his last year and but you know just being part of that with rodney and and uh when Kevin was cool and, and seeing Keelan grow up and Piper, you know, that that's fun. Right. Like, I think that that's part of the allure to Kevin was, you know, just having his kids there and, and uh, driving Keelan around at Michigan after he won, you know, stuff like that. That's cool. You remember it. And, uh, um, but also just to be a part like Kevin's, you know, hall of famer. Right. So just to be around someone like that. And, um, yeah, you know, I always said, I wish I would have had Kevin around when I was driving, um, I would have been, I think, way better just because he was, he was such a, a smart dude, right? Like, not only behind the wheel, but in his business ventures and the way he sees things, his perspective. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, it takes that nowadays. And, and obviously, Ryan has figured out over the years, like, you know, there's he, – he's what he's – like, last year he figured out how to conquer all of that, right, and bring it all together and manage it. And, uh, and win a championship, and that's what champions are all about, right? So um, I, I feel good. I felt I had a lot of fun, and uh, to be able to come over and be with another champion, hopefully we can get a, a few more here, right? Well, we were just talking before we started uh, uh, this, this call with you that, uh, you know, Ryan and Kevin have a couple uh, first-place, second-place finishes that you guys are in the middle of there that uh, uh, Pocono – uh, Ryan's first win, and then of course last year Talladega. So now you join the other team, so you don't have to worry about trying to chase uh, Ryan anymore. <laughs> exactly, that's a good thing, right? Yep, for sure. No, Talladega was fun. We, uh, you know, I thought we were neck and neck coming to the line, and uh, it, it was. I wasn't really sure. I thought I'd seen the twelve go over the line first, and but you know that that stuff's cool, and then to to end up where where I'm at now, and. Uh, that's awesome. Me and Ryan have talked about it a few times and Josh as well. Right. Like we've, we've relived that spotting moment at Talladega and, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's cool. So, uh, I'll, it's something I'll, I'll never forget it. One of them finishes. It was, uh, was, was pretty awesome. You talked about it a little bit briefly earlier in this conversation, but how did the, the deal come together moving to Penske and moving with Ryan? Um, did you, we've heard with, you know, other, teams and other spotters and stuff before they go out and have a beer they go and have lunch you know did you already have like a little bit of an existing relationship relationship or just how did that deal come together to to kind of put you guys on on one team oh well i i don't know i mean we yeah i've I've known ryan uh uh been you know i guess we phone to the we have a mutual friend that we fly with sometimes uh to the races and and uh i got to know ryan um mr ken uh I got to know Ryan through flying and, and, uh, you know, he, he knew the connection. He knows I'm a Michigan guy an open wheel guy. And I think that had a little bit, you know, we had something in common always when we talked. Um, and, uh, we, we kind of clicked from the get go. Uh, um, so I, I think when I really didn't talk to, 
to Ryan about it, we, we just, we met for lunch. You know, we, I think there were some spotters available. They, they probably met with a few of them. Uh, me, Jonathan and Ryan went out to, to have lunch and, um, let it rest for a while. They talked about it and I thought it over and then they called me back and, and, uh, you know, would, did you be interested? And yeah, I'd, I'd be honored. So it really wasn't a huge courtship or anything. We just, uh, um, I think it all felt right for everybody. Now, most of the time I can remember with Kevin, like when he would get fiery on the radio, it usually was around with like maybe a pit stop going bad or something like that. This past season, maybe just because the championship spotlight and that whole playoff run was on Ryan, like there was so much focus on him and like about how, you know, he could lose his cool in the car, you know, get a little bit upset and angry. Um, One thing we always noticed, though, is like he wasn't usually ever like pointing that anger at somebody on the team. But I always kind of felt like media and, and other fans kind of made it seem that way. But, you know, does that I don't want to say does that concern you, but are, are you kind of ready to 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 work with that through the season? I don't know how how Ryan and Kevin will differ in the way that they react to things, but it just seemed like that was like such a, a talking point last year, especially the second half of the season with this, you know, fiery Ryan Blaney, especially the championship race. He's getting you got a little upset with uh, uh, the the one car and stuff. So um this year like how are you gonna are you gonna manage that going forward i mean i just i'll do what i do and and try to you know i don't i've been doing it long enough and i've been with kevin and i mean i it doesn't that's just part of it right i used to drive i was an asshole that's true that's true spotter at times (laughs) right like just and and be honest with you monday i didn't even remember what i said to him i i didn't it was never directed at the team nor do i think ryan's is directed at anybody in particular you're just mad and uh, you kind of, you know, you say things that you don't even remember, right? I, honestly, you don't remember them. But now we're all in such a tight little, you know, the spotlight's on everything we do. Just like we got live live feeds going out, live, you know, we got um, just everything that, the, like you said, the media is so scrutinizing every little thing everybody says, um, especially when you're a championship contender. But I, I, I'm not – Everybody asked me that question, like, well, Ryan, man, he's, he's fiery. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's why he won a championship. And that's why we're, you know, that that's what you want to have, I think. And, and uh, you know, Kevin, I think Kevin, I had Kevin, I always say, post-Keelan. And uh, Billy O, when they were at RCR, had him pre-Keelan. And he was probably a little bit different. Sometimes you, uh, you know, in Kevin's case, he told me, Timmy, I just quit pushing the button as much, you <laughs> know. He said, I, I still yelled, but I didn't push the button as much and, and as he aged in, in his career and whatnot. But I, I'm not worried about it. I mean, I I just – it's not something that I'm really too concerned. Um, maybe I should be. I, I don't – I just feel like I've done it long enough. I've, I've been where – been in the driver's seat, and uh, I know that, uh, you know, that's just passion coming out. Yeah, I think Steve would agree with Ryan, especially especially if he's mad about the car. Like he could be real mad about the way the car's driving in the heat of it, but then you know, at a stage break, he'll just be like, "Yeah, you know, if I think we we'll just make a couple yeah. of these changes, it will be okay." Um, yeah. You guys carry you you know multiple radios. You got all these different channels. You know, Bob Pockers put up a, a tweet earlier a few weeks ago, like saying, "Oh, they've changed these rules so spotters can have all this stuff." And spotters were like, "Oh, we've had all that stuff for the last few years." Yeah. So you're managing all of that. You're managing this relationship with Ryan. What 
um, how important it is, is this relationship you have to build with Jonathan Hasser going to be? Because we know that you're going to be talking to him on a separate channel a lot, getting information back and forth that you have to feed to Ryan eventually. Yeah. I mean, it's the same deal really. I mean, I have to, you know, we we've been trying in the off season just to get together when we can. And I go to the shop and, and just, uh, do whatever I can to try to bridge that gap. Um, but again, um, the first three races of the season will kind of, you know, there's nothing that compares to, to just getting in there and in the heat of the battle, but, um, yeah, I mean, communication is huge and, and I feel like, you know, we all pretty much see eye to eye and, and, uh, we'll, Again, I, I think we've all raced long enough. Um, we're all professionals and, um, I'm not, it's not a concern of mine. I, I feel like I feel comfortable like going right away, right out of the gate and, uh, and having good line of communication. And, and, uh, but I still, you know, you do have to learn each other's, um, idiosyncrasies and little quirks and, you know, when to talk, when not to talk. And, and that does take a little time. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's going to be, there's going to be some things that, you know, will, uh, I'm still going to say what I say and Jonathan will say what they say, but maybe five races in, it'll be a little different, right? Like you're going to mold into this, morph into this, this machine and, and, uh, and it does take some time. The first points race you guys are going to be together for is going to be the biggest race of the season, obviously in the Daytona 500 Ryan historically wildly successful on super speedways between his wins at Talladega, the win that he has at Daytona, multiple near wins in the Daytona 500. Um, what are your thoughts on that style of racing and that style of spotting? And are you going to be able to, you know, the way that Ryan runs and the way team Penske operates at those races, they like to control the race, run out front. They don't usually bail to the back too often. Um, I don't know if that differs from the strategy that Stuart, Stuart Haas would have. I think you guys work together as, as teammates pretty well to get up through the pack, but um, are you prepared for that? And is that a style of spotting and racing that you like to do? Yeah, I think everybody likes speedway racing. I mean, it, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's a sure. lot, but I, I, I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's nice when you don't have to, you just talk, 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 talk the whole time you're talking. It's fun. Um, yeah. And, and as far as, you know, the last few years at Stewart House, I think we all raced pretty hard. There wasn't much going to the back. All the Fords got together collectively in the last six, seven years to try to make um, to make it uh, better for the Fords as a whole. So I'm used to working. You know, we always tried to work with the Penske cars until it was time not to work with them. And um, you know, the Fords, you, you tried to help when you could. Uh, obviously, it sometimes works out. Sometimes it don't. Sometimes there was hard feelings. I you know, but I do like speedway racing and, uh, I think, you know, obviously Ryan does too. He's, he's really good at it. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting to Daytona and, and winning a Daytona 500. This might be a little inside baseball, but how many battery changes do you go through during a super speedway race? Usually one, one, one battery change, you know, and it usually gets you about, you forget to change it about three quarters of the way through the race. And then you, you go, mm-hmm. As soon as you start back green flag racing, your battery will start beeping. That note telling you your battery's going dead. But, you know, I try to remember and switch it on a yellow, but or like halfway uh, just past the second stage, but it never fails. It always goes right in the middle of a, something important happening or, or right in the middle of a fuel stop when you're trying to get them down. You know, it's just, it's, that's just Murphy's Law. 
Yeah, that's I've always heard stories about like guys had to make a couple different battery changes, and it's like it's always seems to be when something's going on. Yes, it never seems to happen under yellow or whatnot. But it's always right when you're three wide in the middle and uh, going after it. But that's just the way it goes. So obviously, you're jumping onto this team that just won a championship, and no team so far in this era, in this format, this elimination format, has won back to back. So I don't know that we're all expecting, you know, uh, back-to-back championships, but for you and joining a new team, what would a 20, a successful 2024 look like for you? I mean, just, I guess winning multiple, you know, the championship is hard, like, right. Like it's a, it's not like it used to be where you could just have a great year, be consistent and uh, you know, win a couple races. Now I think you just have to be really fast every, like if you can, you know, if you can win four or five races in a season and, and just have a good playoff run, uh, I mean, obviously you want to win the championship, but you have to kind of look at it a little differently. You just have to put yourself in a good position to, to where you could can do that. And, and if you do that, I think you look back on it. Well, we didn't, you know, we didn't quite finish it off at Phoenix, you know, it comes down to one race, right? Like, and, and that's hard. It's really hard. You come down to Martinsville, right? Like, like, Ryan and, and Jonathan, the whole 12 team, they obviously won Martinsville to advance. Like it's a, there's so many things that got to go right. Um, but I think you have to, it, when it's over and you look back, you know, you kind of got to, you got to have realistic goals and, and the championship really now is a, is a bonus that, I mean, it, it's just a harder thing to accomplish. It's it's yeah. so hard to win a championship and um, just because there's so many variables now, I think. Uh, maybe other people look at it differently, but back from the old format to this format um, back in the day, I'm not saying it was ever easy. It, it wasn't, but um, it, it's really hard. And, and it's, you know, I don't think you can be down on your team if you won five races and a couple playoff races and, and didn't win the championship. You had a great year, right? So, I mean, I want to have a great year, win some races, win big ones too. You know, we, we talked about some, I mean, obviously Daytona, Indy, Darlington, big three you know 600 um just be fast at the cool places martinsville is always fun to win at right like so um talladega um but but then again you know it, it's fun really to win everywhere so i mean i them are the races that that stick in my head that uh i would love to win but um it, it don't really matter if you win four or five races anywhere you've had a good year well, Timmy, really want to thank you for your time. And we know we're really looking forward to see um, what the future is going to be like for you and Ryan and this 12 team as they go out to try and defend their championship. And we're really looking forward to you winning your second Cup Series championship yeah. as a yeah, spotter. Yeah, that would be so good for everybody. <laughs> hopefully that comes sooner than later for sure. So, but thank you. Thanks for coming on to the Team Blaney podcast. And we definitely hope to uh, talk to you again in the future. Yeah, we'll do that for sure, guys. I appreciate you having me on and uh, we'll talk soon. That was Tim Fedewa, the new spotter for Ryan Blaney, the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Steve, I thought this was the perfect time to bring Tim onto the show to kick off the season, but also before one of the most important races of the season. And we mentioned it to him in the interview. This is an important race for Blaney fans, for Ryan Blaney himself, because, you know, the way that he has run on super speedways his entire career, he's one of the best out there. He had one of the best spotters out there in Josh Williams in steps Tim Fidoa, who's had success himself uh, with Kevin Harvick in the past. So 
let's see what Tim can do in 2024. And why not? Let's start this off at Daytona. I, you know, already listened to him, uh, in the clash and, uh, loved what I heard. Uh, you know, you know how good he is, you know, that he's been doing a long time and, uh, a nice 10 year run with, with Kevin and they won a championship together. So we're not talking about, you know, somebody that they're going to have to work together and learn how to work together. Um, you know, the shorthand is there, I think already. And, uh, I can't, can't wait to hear it. And I want to thank Jonathan Hassler, uh, for helping set that up for us, get that interview together for us. Um, and, uh, Tim already kind of told me, I'm, I'm going to say this now. He told me that he'd come back on again. And I told him, uh, right after the first victory, he's, uh, he's my first guy I'm going to get a hold of. So I, I can't wait to hear from him again soon. Yeah, and I can't wait to hear from all the other folks that we're going to get on throughout the year. Thanks to Steve, who helped set up these interviews with Ryan Flores, Tim Fidua, and looking forward to anybody else from the team that we bring on throughout the 2024 season. It's Daytona week, Steve, and uh, can't wait to get this season started. Thank you, everyone, once again for tuning in to this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. You can interact with us on Facebook and X formerly known as Twitter, at Team Blaney, and on Instagram and TikTok at Team.Blaney. We also like to encourage you to support the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. Ryan's official charitable organization benefits brain health causes like UPMC Sports Medicine and the Alzheimer's Association. To learn more, visit RyanBlaneyFamilyFoundation.org or follow them on Facebook, X, and Instagram. So for my co-host, Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time right here on the Team Blaney Podcast. Good night, Brussels. Good night up there in the Netherlands. And check out the TikTok. Well, thanks, everybody, for coming. I hope you enjoyed it.